0: be in Acts chapter 19 today, resuming in verse 20. Last week uh, we closed as the Ephesian believers were burning their books on witchcraft and sorcery. They were done with that life, with the occult, and they became believers in Jesus Christ and now were going to follow him and they burned a lot of books and it was such a large amount that uh, it was 150 year wages so the wages of one man for 100 uh, for one year 150 times over so a lot a lot of books were burned and they Recognized the power of God is greater than the power of Satan. There's a lot of people in the world today that think they're equal powers, just fighting against each other, and that you know maybe Satan will win. Um, I, I I don't think that's going to happen. As a matter of fact, I know it's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, I, I don't need Paul Harvey to tell me the rest of the story. I already have the Bible. And I already know the rest of the story. So uh, I'm, I'm good to go with this. We read, the closing verse was verse 20 last week, where we read, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. How do we know that to be true? Because you're sitting here right now. It prevailed mightily in the... The city of Ephesus, which was a city of 300,000, this was a populous city back then, and it prevailed there, and it's prevailing now, even though it doesn't appear like it. Just because you don't hear about it in the news, on TV, uh, doesn't mean it's not prevailing. There's a lot of things you don't hear about on TV. There's a lot of things that are kind of kept in the background. TV is a medium that promotes an agenda. Christianity promotes an agenda. The agenda is have a relationship with Jesus Christ so we can all spend eternity together with him because of what he did for us. We're going to worship him and we're going to follow him. Our agenda is, hey, let's all become one big family in love with the God who died for us. That's a good agenda. And so we all have different agendas, but the the good agendas are trying to be snuffed out. So the word of the Lord grew mightily. It prevailed against the work of the flesh and of the false teachers that were in Ephesus these false itinerant Jews that were going around exercising demons and then getting their butt kicked because they were trying to use the power of God to their own favor. Uh, but that didn't really work. And uh, they, the seven sons of Siva who then were defeated by one demon and, and cast out, running away naked. Today's message is titled, Shouting Over Salvation. And we continue in Acts chapter 19. We're going to pick it up in verse 21, where we read, When these things were accomplished, what things? All of the things that we read about last week and the week before. Uh, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, When he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And so he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Paul accomplished what he started He was fulfilling the work that the ministry of the Holy Spirit sent him to do. That's something that we can cling to. What work has the Holy Spirit given you to do? Are you doing it? Or are you waiting for the opportune moment? In my 60-something years of life, many times I waited for the opportune moment to do something. I was waiting, well, just and now is not the right time. And I know that that's happened to many of you in your lives. Oh, well, I'll just wait until everything is right before I do. You know what I'm talking about? I know you do because you've pretty much all expect This is just part of being human. Here's the thing. There's never a right time. I found that you have to make the right time to do things. Sometimes everything lines up and it's just perfect and you do it and you think, oh, this must be the right time because everything lined up and, and it's just right. And then you go through and it's like, oh no, this isn't good. This is bad. Well, Who made it the right time? Who lined everything up? And sometimes we line up things for ourselves and sometimes the enemy can line things up for us too. But when we truly seek God and seek his will, uh, we follow a path that sometimes is really unknown. It's unclear what's going to happen. Paul had a plan. His plan was to finish this third missionary journey and, you know, go through the area of Asia. He was going to leave there and then he was going to go to Jerusalem and then he wanted to go to Rome. And all of that was going to happen. Just not the way he expected it. He wasn't expecting to get on board a ship in chains and then have that ship destroyed and being out in the sea, he wasn't expecting all of the bad things that were coming. He just expected that he was going to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome. We don't understand the things that happened to us until they happen. And then a lot of times we look back and say, oh, that was the Lord bringing us through those bad times, those struggles that we have gone through. Every one of you have gone through struggles. Paul was going to be going through some struggles. That was part of his testimony. That was also part of what built Paul's faith. He went through things, and as he was going through the different trials and struggles, he was learning to rely on the Lord because... There was no one else to rely on. Quite often, his friends left him and he was there all alone, he said. And he was struggling, but the Lord was there with him. And that's why he's able to write and encourage so many others. Even today, his writings are encouraging to us. Because we experience many of the same things that Paul is going through, just in a different way. But as we experience them, we can say, well, we saw how God helped Paul through these things. And now we know that we also uh, can be encouraged by that. We can make it through there. So the Holy Spirit is leading him. And Paul usually liked to have others with him in ministry. But now he sends Timothy and Erastus away, which... Timothy was like his his right arm half the time. But now he sends them away and he is left alone here in Ephesus. And it's going to be a, a, a struggling time that he's going to go through even here. So we read in verse 23. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. I love that. Not the great commotion. uh, The way. What it's called. The way. And we read earlier in the chapter. Where it was called the way. Again. Christianity being Christians were called the way. And that's because Jesus coined that term. He said that he was the way. The truth. And the life. And that no one comes to the Father, except through Him. He made it pretty clear. A lot of pastors, teachers, leaders of different movements are ambiguous with who the leader is and how we get to heaven. There was a poll taken, and many believe this was a a Barna uh, poll. and, And many believe I'm talking about many evangelical pastors that were questioned believe that there's more than one way to heaven than Jesus. Are you kidding? You're an evangelical pastor, and that's what you believe. And so the study goes on, you know, asking questions about the evangelical church and what they believe. And the majority do not believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. So if you don't believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible, why read it at all? It's just, you might as well read Confucius or any other writing out there. They, they all have good words that can make you feel good about things, but we read the Bible understanding that it is the Word of God and that there's power in the Word of God and that we know that there's truth in the Word of God. It is the truth. It's not that it contains some truth. It is the truth, period. Period. So when Jesus said, if, if either he was a good teacher or he was a lunatic, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, then we either take that as literal or we might as well just toss out the Bible. So even the people back then understood it was the way. It was identified not as a bunch of Christians, but it was the way. And the implication of that term, the way, is that there's only one way. It, it, there isn't a way. Jesus didn't say, I'm a way. I have some truth. And, you know, there's, there's life in me. No. He said he was the way, and that's what they're calling them at that point. They are the way, this organization, this group, this terrorist group that wants to lead us into a relationship with this Jesus, and they're, um, they're doing something wrong. Well, it's causing a great commotion, we're, we're understood Uh, in verse 23 but then when we get to 24 it says for a certain man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana brought no small profit to the craftsmen and he called them together with the workers of similar occupation and say men You know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods, which are made with hands. And so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Whew. Demetrius. He's running for office. He's saying things that are bringing the people together and, and really he's doing that because his business is Suffering. And so he needs to keep the business going. And the others that were in business with him, the other craftsmen, they all made crafts that were idols, basically, to Diana. Who is this Diana? Otherwise known as Artemis. It's a, um, a, a meteorite that landed in Ephesus at some point. And it was just this black stone. And they said it came from Zeus. And they started worshipping it. And so that's where uh, the whole worship of Diana came to. They built a temple for her there in Ephesus. That's why they were the gatekeeper of the temple. The temple was magnificent. There's only one Half of a column, I think it is, standing right now where the temple used to stand. There were 160-foot columns in this temple that was there in Ephesus. And, uh, you know, so if if Diana was so great, where is she today? You know, uh, so, oh, I know there are some people that say, well, if God was so great, where's his temple? Right here. We are the temple. And that's what makes him so great. He doesn't need a a building, you know, because we are the temple of God. And, And so here, Artemis, Diana was their goddess, and Demetrius was worried about his business. He could care less about the whole Diana thing. He was making money. And this was going to cut into his profits. You know, it, it didn't justify why he was defending her. If she's a goddess, if she has that much power, couldn't she defend herself? Well, that wasn't really what was happening. Paul wasn't telling people not to buy the trinkets not to buy the fake temples. Paul wasn't telling people, leave Diana behind. That isn't what he was teaching. Paul was teaching the truth that we can be set free by a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we can have an eternal relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. That was Paul's message. And because people were listening to Paul's message and they were believing and following, they were leaving behind the things of the past, the false idols of the past, the worship of Diana. They were leaving that behind so that they can follow the one true God. That was the problem that Demetrius was confronted with. The fact that people were no longer interested In worshiping Diana. And so there was no reason to go and buy his crafts or the rest of the craftsmen that made things uh, for Diana. You know, this is the evidence that people who are in touch with the Lord, who are in a relationship with Jesus, their lives change. And their lives change to such an extent that the world loses its allure. That the things of the world aren't as appealing as they used to be. And so even the commercials on TV that make us think, oh, look at that, I, I really need one of those. Even those commercials don't appeal to us anymore. And we start thinking about heaven. We start considering the fact that we're not going to be here forever. I'm sure of that. I can guarantee you that we're not going to be here forever. Because Paul isn't here. And neither are almost all of the people that lived in his day. Well, none of them are. For 2,000 years, all of those people are gone. If there are, I, I heard of um, a lady that was 122 years old, I believe it was. Um, and uh, she was probably one of the oldest people to have lived in modern times. 122 years. And I, I don't want to live 122 years, to be honest with you. Um, I, I just don't see the appeal of that. Um <laughs> you know so uh, i guess at 121 i would st- i would be like all right lord take me take me you know but she made it another year after that <laughs> you know when we consider what we have on earth and everything that we live for here and then compare it to what's in heaven the problem is we don't know but i guarantee you that it's going to be much better than anything here. Uh, that moth and rust aren't going to be corrupting the things that we've stored up in heaven. They, they, I don't know how they get into the closet, but you'll find bugs and moths and dust. And How do they get in there? How does dust get in there? But in heaven, there's not even going to be Dust. All right, I I don't know that. There's nothing in Revelation that says when you get to heaven, there's no dust. But I'm pretty sure that's the case. All right, I went off on a tangent. Demetrius uses fear to get people to believe what he was teaching. That's what he's doing. The fear of losing your business. Folks. Fear is still a great motivator today. People are living in fear today and they're being motivated by fear today. I don't have to tell you that because you see it all around you. This isn't something that is coming as a shock. (gasps) Really? People are in fear? No, just go to the store. You'll see them. They're living in fear. I'm not talking about people with masks on and stuff like that. I'm talking about people that are living in fear because they don't know who you are. They don't know who the other person is in the aisle. They they look and are you a threat? Are you a friend? People are living in fear. You have to be aware of your surroundings wherever you go. Now, I grew up in New York. And I took the subway at 4 o'clock in the morning at 14 years old. I didn't have any fear. All right, I was stupid. But I would just go and travel around New York whenever I felt like it. And I didn't really care much. And, and there wasn't a lot of reason to have fear. But nowadays, there's a lot of reason to be afraid. When you, you travel around New York at night and, or even during the day, broad daylight, Crazy things happen. And so fear is a great motivator for people. It keeps people in line. And it also keeps people away from the truth. Because if people fear the fact, you know how Christians are being called haters? People fear being hated or being called out even if it's not true they just fear i don't want to be part of that group because you guys are haters really can you point to some of the hate oh sure they say well you hate homosexuals you know or something like that no we love them we love them we want them to know the truth just like everyone else you know we we don't hate the sin we hate the sinner Oh no, no, no. We hate the sin. We love the sinner. But they want us, they want everyone to think that we hate sinners. We are sinners. So we would be hating ourselves. And that doesn't make any sense. So Demetrius wants to feed on that fear. And now in verse 28, he continues, Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristicus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. So people flooded to this outdoor amphitheater that could seat 25,000 and what's really cool about these amphitheaters, if you've been to Israel, you know, you've been to one of the amphitheaters there, that people can be all through the amphitheater and someone can be down in, in the pit on the stage and just talking like at this level without a microphone and everyone can hear them. It's amazing. We were up there uh, and we, we had a group up at the top of the stairs and we were looking down and everyone was looking around because they were listening to a conversation and they didn't know where the conversation was coming from. There were some people down on on the bottom in in front of the stage and they were talking, but we could hear them clear as day. We were listening. They couldn't hear us, but we could hear them clear as day and so everyone was kind of confused and and then oh it's them talking down there and and so that's how come they always keep the tours up at the top you know if you if every tour goes down to the bottom then you know there'd be a bunch of confusion well that's what was going on here there was a bunch of confusion everyone was running in you see because this is Ephesus, this is a major city. Here is the focal point, the theater in the center of the city. And all of these people were running in because they heard someone shouting, great is Diana. And and so everybody wanted to rush in and see what was going on. They had no idea. And to get everybody on the same page, you can't do that today with social media. You can't do that today with the radio or TV. You can't get everyone on the same page. You give one message and there's five different groups of people formed from that one message. And this group of people hates this group of people because they didn't understand it clearly. You know, And, and that happens in the Christian church where you have groups of people that misunderstand the same message from God. So when we take the word of God literally, it keeps us focused on the truth. When we take it and say, you know what, Uh, this is what it means. Really? That's not what it says. Yes, but you have to take into account that they had a lot of cattle back then They were giving off methane. And and these people were were breathing in that methane and it was causing them to be diluted. And, And oh, I can make up a whole religion about that. As a matter of fact, someone already beat me to it. So they were flooding in there. They were confused. They didn't know what they were doing. So how does Paul now respond to this? And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. He wanted to go talk to them. Paul was crazy like that. He just, he said, hey, there's a crowd. (laughs) Let's go share the gospel. You know, let's go talk and, and let me share with them and see what God is going to do. But his Friends didn't want him to go in. You know, and sometimes that happens in ministry, where someone is motivated to do something, uh, but people tell, no, you shouldn't do that. You, you know, that's not a good idea. Even when we came up here to plant the church, we were told, it's just a bunch of old people up there, And so I prayed about that. And, you know, God said, old people need the gospel too. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, then maybe I, I should go. Then I found out there weren't just old people up here. So Paul was being led by the Spirit to do something, but maybe not in this instance. Paul just jumped in whenever he felt like it. And so maybe this wasn't the move of the spirit, but someone was leading him away and saying, don't do this. And he didn't shy away from the chance to speak with a large group of unruly people. It's still that way today. Verse 32, some therefore cried one thing and some another. For the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together. They didn't even know. They're just there gathering together. They were confused. Uh, This should tell us who the opposition is. The author of Confusion Because that's who Satan is. He wants to cause confusion for the world and for believers. If he can get believers to be confused and cause confusion in the life of believers, he can divide the church. And when you divide the church, the church loses its power. And That's why Satan is just as involved in the church as he is out in the world. There are many churches that are confused as to what they believe. Or people go to a church that it sounds good, it makes them feel good, and so they're not confused at all. They are fully on board with whatever that church teaches even though it may not be biblical. They're okay with it because it makes them feel good and it lines up with what the popular opinion is. Popular opinion changes every decade. It seems like it's a moving target and it changes all the time. Don't ever base what you believe on popular opinion. Base it on the word of God. And then you can see where the world has strayed from the truth. It becomes pretty clear. They were trying to do what was right. They were... Um, I'm, I'm talking about the Christians there. They were trying to do what was right, reaching the people of Ephesus. Paul was their leader. He was being, uh, uh, you know, assaulted by the um, generation of that time, the people that were worshiping these. He, he wasn't being assaulted physically, but the message was being assaulted. They were afraid of losing their businesses. Unfortunately, there are a lot of churches out there that are worried about losing their business too. You know, you can see them on TV or on the radio or, you know, books that they write and stuff, and their message isn't true. But it's appealing, it's appealing to someone and they build these churches and it's based on the deception and the confusion of the enemy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not bashing any particular church. I'm just saying, be Bereans. Find out for yourself. If you hear a message, find out how it lines up with the word of God. And, it, you know, it, it, you can go on the internet and find out, right? Right? The internet's like one of the worst places to try to get honest information. You first have to understand and know the Bible, but the enemy wants you to stay out of your Bible. The enemy doesn't want you to know the Word of God because once you know the truth, then you're able to discern for yourself the truth and the lie. And the enemy doesn't want you uh, to be knowing the truth and following the truth, because it's only going to cause him to fail. So they were confused. They were angry. They didn't know who to blame their anger on. Here they are all in this um, this auditorium, this uh, theater, outdoor theater, and they're all yelling um, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out he was a Jew, with, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So here's Alexander and they... Take him, and he wants to explain something to him. He wants to make a defense. And he's like, all right, hold on. Everyone quiet down. And then someone in the crowd yells out, he's a Jew. And then all of them start shouting, great is Diana of the Ephesians. That's kind of weird, huh? Well, Alexander wasn't there to support Paul. He wasn't there to tell them, hold on, you got Paul all wrong. You see, what he was there to do was to support the Jews and to tell the crowd, hold on, this doesn't have anything to do with the Jews. Just because Paul is a Jew, he's not one of us. How do I know that? It doesn't say that. Well, because in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 19, Paul writes a letter to Timothy, probably about this incident. And he was telling Timothy to fight the good fight. And he said, Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, concerning the faith, they've suffered shipwreck." Of who are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme? Oh, that's the Alexander he was referring to. He was blaspheming. He was lying about... So it appears that Alexander either hung out with the believers... Maybe he was a believer. I don't. I don't think he was a believer, but he hung out with them probably, and he had a relationship with them. But now he was causing trouble. He was saying, "No, don't, don't listen uh, to. We're not part of Paul. We're we're Jews. We're real Jews, not like Paul. Paul has gone off the deep end." But then um, we also read Paul gave another warning to Timothy in his second letter, in chapter four, verse fourteen. And Paul wrote to Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. That tells me something. Alexander was a coppersmith. He was just as involved in making things that sold. And if he's in Ephesus, he's probably selling things that have to do with Diana, part of his business. He didn't care any way to make money they were involved in. And so... Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. That's Paul writing to Timothy about Alexander. So now we know who this Alexander is that the Jews put forth to give a message to these people. And they started shouting for two hours Great is Diana of the Ephesians for two hours. That just is inconceivable. Two hours. Doesn't that seem unrealistic? Well, obviously, you haven't been to a football game lately. Especially if it goes into overtime. Two hours is nothing. We could be shouting at the top of our lungs for our team for many hours. Uh, So... Finally, someone steps in, the city clerk steps in there. He's going to give a message, and he's going to address the crowd here. It's kind of like the town manager here in town. Uh, He there is in charge, and he's going to step up there and say, uh, and they, uh, excuse me, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, He said, men of Ephesus, what man is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar there being no reason why we may give to the account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So he basically went out there and said, Hey, if Diana is so great, if, if we already know that, we, everybody knows that, the whole world knows that Diana is great, and that we are the guardians of Diana here If that's the case, why do we have to have this commotion? Well, why do we have to defend Diana? It was a good argument that he was making. Uh, We have people in our country that are trying to shut down Christians by shouting over salvation. They don't want to hear the message of salvation, they want to shout over us, and they want to give reasons why we're bad people. We're evil people. And so because of that, uh, we need to um, disband. We need to silence them. Freedom of speech is only free to people that agree with them. So they form organizations that call us haters if we don't agree with their beliefs. The silversmiths, led by Demetrius, they were being proactive, trying to save their business because they could see the writing on the wall. People were getting saved. And because people were getting saved, their lives were changed. This should be true for us today. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, our lives should be changed. We should live differently than the world. We should exude hope. We should exude grace. We should exude joy. And we should have mercy and grace on those who are our enemy. Well, they aren't really our enemies. They're the enemies of God. They were just like us. They still are just like us before we became believers, before we started dedicating ourselves to Christ. There are many people that call themselves Christians who are still working on that. You know, and that's how come we can never look at someone who calls themselves a Christian and say, well, you really don't act saved. Well, we don't know where they are in their walk. You know, so you have to give them grace. Because when I got saved, even though I was perfect on the day that I got saved. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Because you know that that's not true. True. I wasn't perfect today, and, and I'm still not perfect. The day of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be perfect. So will you. We're all going to be perfect then. And, and so we have to have some grace. We have to have some mercy for them. That's why Paul was motivated to go out and speak to this group, even though he knew they were all the enemy of God. He wanted to go, and he wanted to share with them. He had been beat up, stoned, and, you know, uh, you know, left out at sea. He had had the worst things happen to him. So this was nothing. Just in a group of 25,000, what can they do? Kill me? You know, so it, it was nothing to him to go. And sometimes we look at others as the enemy when we really need to look at them as a child of God, possibly, All they have to do is recognize that and then they too can be saved. They too can be walking with us, um, you know, and and sometimes that takes a while. But we just need to share the good news with them so that it can plant a seed, so that it can be watered and that it can grow. We close today considering how we can impact our community. I'll tell you how, by loving people. By going out there and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And when we do, and if we impact, let's say, you know, 5,000 people that are currently unsaved here in Fountain Hills become saved. Let's say that happens. What kind of impact would we have on the community? You know, uh, the community would see people acting differently. And they would say, oh, there's something different going on there. And, and you know, in, in the Welsh revival, when in Wales when they were saved, when when the revival happened there, there were so many people that got saved. It it had an impact on the world. There were the policemen weren't able to arrest anyone because there was no one doing crimes. So what were the policemen doing? They were doing crowd control, getting in and out of the churches. This is reality. This is truth. Uh, you know, they, the bars were closing. You know, the strip clubs were closing. Those things were closing down. But the churches were full and there was joy in the world there. And that can happen again. The Lord isn't short of his hand that he can't reach out and do this again. And so we're waiting for the Lord to come back so that we can go home. But before we go home, let's grab hold of someone and bring them with us. And we do that by impacting the community that we live in. Amen.